Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, an economic development podcast featuring candid conversations with business leaders across Michigan. You'll hear firsthand accounts from Michigan business leaders and innovators about how the state is driving job growth and business investment, supporting a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem, building vibrant communities, and helping to attract and retain one of the most diverse and significant workforces in the nation. Welcome to the Michigan Opportunity, brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Ed Clementi, for the show today. We're very fortunate to have Eric Frederick, Executive Director, Connected Nation Michigan, and Vice President, and he will explain why he has two different titles, but welcome to the show, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So you want to delineate uh, your two titles there? <laughs> yeah, so so Connected Nation Michigan is part of a, a bigger uh, 501c3 nonprofit called Connected Nation. So um, Connected Nation as a nonprofit is, is an organization whose mission is to facilitate the expansion of broadband to improve quality of life. As we know, broadband touches everything, telehealth, education, tele, um, teleworking, I mean, everything. So we uh, we try to improve quality of life through that, that expansion of broadband. And um, so at Connected Nation, um, I run the, the the Connect Michigan or Connected Nation Mission program, as as some of you may know it. Uh, we've been around for a while now in the state. So we, we uh, started off as Connect Michigan. Now we have Connected Nation Michigan, but we're essentially the same organization, just showing a little bit of, of deference to our broader national organization now. But with Connected Nation, I do run the Michigan program, like I said, and I also run Connected Nation's community engagement strategy. So my background is in urban and regional planning. So we take that same kind of comprehensive long-term focus on community development and apply it to broadband and Connected Nation does that across the country. So those are the two hats that I wear. Yeah. And at some point, we should talk a little bit about the variety of different infrastructure challenges, I think, that are involved in this process. But uh, that would be helpful, I think, with your degree. And you live in Michigan, too, right? That's correct. Yep. I live down in Charlotte, uh, just outside the Lansing area. And not that it's a light matter because it's a very serious matter for a lot of people. But even where you live, you have challenges, right? Your uh, yeah, band. That's correct. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I do live in a rural area outside of town, um, and my my bandwidth is is fairly limited, especially now that I've got two kids who are learning from home, and the wife is working from home as well. Um, so we <laughs> have to tell the kids to stop streaming while I uh, record podcasts or do webinars or <laughs> whatever it is. So yeah, it's it's a it's a struggle. Hopefully, you're doing homework and not doing online games. Exactly. Always homework. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure what I'd be like when I was a kid. Um, the uh, so, yeah, that that's kind of targets the next thing. But um, you have a really stratified target market. It's not just about for people to, you know, when people hear about connected, they might think only in the way of like cable TV or something. But really, it's so much more advanced than that. So would you kind of like. uh segment out like who your target your top tier probably target markets are a little bit sure so i mean broadband really does touch everything but when we look at broadband from connected nation michigan's perspective we're looking at three separate buckets the first is infrastructure um, and that is the availability so we, we look at access to the physical infrastructure for broadband and that's delivered by 
cable technology, uh, DSL over the phone lines, fiber technology, of course, satellite, mobile broadband, fixed wireless. I mean, there's a there's a whole host of technologies that deliver broadband connectivity. And we have at least 150 broadband providers in the state. There's there's more that deliver business only services. There's those that that just do long haul fiber across the state from one point to another. Um, so when we look at infrastructure, there's, there's a whole host of folks that, that we try to work with, um, to improve that infrastructure in the state. And, and, and those internet service providers are absolutely key in that, in that area. The next area we look at when it comes to broadband is what we call adoption. You can think of that more like the, the subscription to that service. So once the service infrastructure is there, what are the barriers to actually subscribing to it at home? Is it affordability? Is it digital literacy? Is it uh, lack of a device? Is it building awareness for what those connections can do to improve quality of life? And all those barriers contribute to uh, what we call the adoption challenge, what, that once the infrastructure is there, how do we make sure people can can adopt and subscribe and benefit from having that connection in their home? Um, and in, you know, in that bucket, we have uh, nonprofit organizations, community action agencies. There's device manufacturers. I mean, there's a whole host of folks that help contribute to knocking down those barriers. And finally, the, what I think is the biggest bucket of all is what we call the use category. So we have access, adoption, and use. And use is making sure that we're leveraging that technology, we're leveraging that infrastructure and that adoption to improve quality of life, whether that's uh, healthcare systems implementing telehealth applications, it's um, uh, employers being able to allow their employees to work from home, it's schools being able to conduct distance learning, it's the government provision of services. I mean, there's a whole host of things that we can obviously do with broadband uh, to improve quality of life. So we want to make sure that we're looking at this problem from all three of those perspectives. Uh, we can't just stop at the infrastructure. We can't just stop at affordability. It has to be a, a comprehensive view of this problem um, so that we can move Michigan forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit, but you're a nonprofit. Does that mean you have a board as well then? That's correct. We do have a board of advisors um, that, that directs um, uh, Connected Nations activities. So, you know, for example, one of our board members um, is the head of the American Farm Bureau, uh, very plugged into rural uh, rural America and helps bring that uh, that guidance. So um, we do have a, a board that that directs our activities. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. It's uh, it's interesting because I'm sure they have a lot of input as to what you're trying to because there's probably so many priorities. You have to do sort of a triage with them to figure out which ones you got to tackle all the time. Um, the uh, so, you know, when I went on your website and I would recommend this to anybody listening to this podcast, you were one of the few websites I've been to that has something I think that should be on every website. And that's a glossary. <laughs> and, and I'm not kidding you. I, I almost read every word because I really find that fascinating because, you know, it's the kind of thing like if you're reading a new textbook when you're in school, you know, you always wonder what's that word mean? And that's the best way to learn about what's going on. But, you know, I just want to com compliment you guys on having that there because I'm sure this is a foreign language to some people. Right. It is. And that's actually part of the 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 barrier that we're trying to overcome is because we're a, we see ourselves as a facilitator of a broadband conversation, part of that that work 
is helping to bring everyone up to speed on what this issue is. And that includes making sure local communities and those stakeholders there are empowered with the knowledge of what this industry is, what are the ins and outs. They don't have to be computer science experts, but they, you know, getting just that basic understanding of this is how cable systems work. This is how fiber operates. And then this is what fixed wireless is versus mobile wireless. You know, those types of things are really important to help everybody really start to come to the table and tackle this issue. And that, frankly, that glossary is growing all the time. Um, I mean, there's new, new technologies being developed all the time. We're, you know, we're tracking, one of the big things we're tracking now is low earth orbit satellites with Starlink um, and that technology and, and, what a game changer that could be for rural Michigan and, and frankly, the rest of the country as well um, for trying to connect those places where it's cost prohibitive to build wired infrastructure and has been for decades now. We know I'm going to make you go into that a little further right now, because I, I really didn't know much about Starlink myself till just recently. And I have gone online and look at the Wikipedia site all about it. And then it started making sense to me about everything Elon Musk was doing. You want to talk a little bit about what Starlink, you don't have to do, you know, not to be funny, but you could do it from like the 2.5 mile view. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when we think about we usually think about satellite Internet as kind of a last resort option, right, for for rural service. And the issue with traditional satellite broadband is late what's called latency and that is the time it takes for the signal to get from the internet to the satellite and down to your house and then from your house back up to the satellite and back to earth that we can't change the physical distance from us to space so that is what the problem is with traditional satellite broadband low earth orbit satellites are are changing that physical distance i mean they're just like they say low earth orbit so those satellites are located much closer to earth and so they really cut down on that latency and that latency impacts um, direct live two-way communication so just like we're doing now or just like if you're trying to present on a webinar and broadcasting information out that's where traditional satellite broadband tends to break down but with low earth orbit we're seeing some tests where that latency is on par with wired networks um, that we that we see so it's um, it, those satellites are much closer to Earth. It takes much more satellites to be able to provide that level of service because they are closer. Um, but they're providing speeds anywhere from 50 to 150 megabits per second. There was just a news article that they might increase that by by end of the year this year to 300 megabits per second. Um, so it's it's a game changing technology, and and I think we're on the cusp of seeing some. Um, very broad, positive results from that technology yeah. being rolled out. Yeah, and I, I know a few people already that have been, are they doing what they call it, beta testing, or are they calling it the third level testing in Michigan already, right? Yes, that's correct. So they're currently serving uh, anywhere from 45 degrees latitude north in Michigan. Yeah, I think my friend has, the one I know, he's in Petoskey, actually. Yep. <laughs> um, so that takes me to a couple other words on there that I think are important for people. But this one, I think, is a little bit um, this was around even back when I was in the legislature. But we were trying to solve this problem. It was more of an urban issue. And that's sort of the digital divide. And I think you'll probably tell us the two areas that really made this much more sort of obvious is probably, you know, the pandemic of COVID-19, as well as kids working like your kids being at home now, how that's really put a spotlight on what the digital divide really means. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the digital divide is something that I think is constantly changing. And it's in flux because our demands on the network change and they changed in a big way when the COVID-19 pandemic happened. And it, 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 what it did is that if we were work, if we were working to close the digital divide before COVID, COVID just opened it right back up by moving the goalposts um, because it forced so many more folks to to be at home and to work at home and not not only work at home, but to conduct education at home. Um, and we know that a lot of those connections don't exist, um, not only because of availability, but affordability as well. And so we. You know, you talked earlier about trying to to pick and choose what facets of this we address. And really, we have to address it all. But it all, a lot of it comes down to two. And that is the availability and the affordability. Those those two challenges are the biggest barriers to making sure we we are closing that digital divide and coming close to a more digitally equitable state where everyone has equal access. Everyone has a device that can access the Internet and, of course, can afford those connections that are there. You're listening to The Michigan Opportunity, featuring candid conversations with Michigan business leaders on what makes Michigan a leading state to live, work, and play. Listen to more episodes at michiganbusiness.org forward slash podcast. I think I told you I had a pretty uh, urban district when I was a state rep. And I remember I do my office hours at libraries, and I was always amazed by how many people were waiting in line at a library to use, you know, just like the computer. And I'm just thinking, why can't they use their cell phones or don't they have anything at their own home? And I started talking to the librarians and they says, well, a lot of times, you know, to fill out job applications, there's formatting issues and libraries are like the hotspot for a lot of people to get any access or maybe, you know, like some stores have free Wi-Fi. So that's probably not the best way to be doing all this. So I'm sure you've had experiences like that in your around the state conversations. Yeah, that, that's right. We love libraries. I mean, not only from being able to access a public computer, but simply, you know, bringing your own device and accessing a Wi-Fi network. Um, libraries are great for hosting digital literacy training and, and training folks how to use new technology, too. And a new way that libraries are getting into this space is by acquiring mobile hotspots. So mobile you know, Verizon, AT&T or whoever you know, acquiring those hotspots and actually lending them out for folks to take home. And so they can take that mobile coverage home with them for a you know a certain period of time, just like you'd lend a, a book or, um, or or anything else. Um, and they can have that connectivity at home and then bring it back to the library and then share it again. And while that's not a that's not a permanent solution, it does provide another stop stopgap measure um, for helping to improve connectivity you know, for those who can't get it at home. So we love libraries. Um, they're, they're fantastic for helping close that digital divide in a lot of ways. Yeah, and I've, I've, I've got about uh, three more questions. Once again, our guest is Eric Frederick. He's the executive director for Connected Nation Michigan. Thanks again. Um, though the one thing I kind of thought that was, you touched on it a little bit, but I think again, with the pandemic, Telehealth, I don't think people even knew what that meant a few uh, a few years ago, <laughs> you know, and now all of a sudden it's every my my aunt who's 90 years old has already been exposed to it. Right. <laughs> so why don't you talk a little bit about that? Why that is so important to people? 
Yeah, I, I, you're right. COVID, COVID pushed telehealth to the forefront of a lot of folks' minds as, you know, hospitals were dealing with dealing, you know, dealing with COVID and had to to move a lot of other, um, you know, consultations and regular visits to a virtual environment. Um there were lots of, of rules rules changes at a federal level that came down because of COVID to allow more telehealth, which is great if you could access it. Um, but telehealth is absolutely critical, especially for um, rural places where we have an older population. Um, so not only there do you have an infrastructure problem, but we also have on the outside of broadband, a transportation problem. A lot of times trying to get folks to a healthcare clinic, to a hospital, to their doctor's office can be a challenge. So telehealth is a great answer for that. Um, But there's a number of barriers that need to be overcome even besides affordability and, and availability of broadband. Uh, We put out a study uh, right before the pandemic hit last year uh, that, that looked at, the barriers to telehealth among patients in five rural Michigan counties. And apart from, again, access to the infrastructure and affordability, one of the barriers we found was simply being able to trust that your your information that you're transmitting is safe, that, you know, being able to trust that a doctor can diagnose something via telehealth. But telehealth is absolutely critical for the stability of our rural communities um, where, you know, physical access to a a hospital or a healthcare clinic um, can be few and far between, or you have to travel a great distance. But we need to make sure that the, the, the availability is there, the affordability is there, and the digital literacy and, and trust in that system is there so that, that that system can flow and work as it should. But it is absolutely critical for, for all of Michiganders to be able to access those services. Yeah, and I would guess in the near future when like medicine starts getting delivered by drones, the telemedicine will be part of that sort of connectivity to get people who are like having an emergency quicker and you find out their vitals, you know, or whatever, and they'll be able to get there quicker. So it's more about even integrating with other systems, I would guess as well, right? It is. So yeah, it's it's not just about having, you know, video consultations, for example, with your doctor. There's there's a lot they can do now with, uh, you know, remote vitals monitoring, uh, in-home uh, medication reminders, um, you know, all sorts of things that can be monitored via telehealth as long as you have that connection. Um, so there's lots of tools at their disposal. Um, um, and, and even on the mental health side, you know, being able to talk to a to to a therapist or a mental health professional via the internet um, when you when you can't get to a physical office can be hugely beneficial. Um, yeah. So there's you know there's definitely ways that 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 connection improves quality of life via the healthcare system. Well, I know there's a lot more we could cover. I just got a couple more questions here, and. Um, if you could just comment a little bit, and one thing I was interested in was a little bit, if you could just give me a brief answer about the digital training you do, because I think that's going to be pretty relevant for people with career opportunities, high school kids, or, you know, where there might be opportunities for work even too, right? That's correct. So Connected Nation has a program called Digital Works, and that program helps provide not only digital literacy training, but customer service uh, representative training to folks and then connects them with a remote employer. You know, as we know with telework, you know, if we can't get the employer to be located in Michigan, locating the employee can be a critical thing to do here too. So that program we haven't implemented in Michigan recently, but it can be accessed virtually. 
And uh, we have imp- we have implemented that program in places um, like Kentucky, uh, if focusing on military spouses uh, as a as a as a source there. So that program is available on our website. Um, you, you can, there's more information about it there. But it's a great way to get into that kind of that digital workforce um, and and being part of you know taking part in teleworking opportunity. Um, and, and, and being able to, to find a job and, and do it from home, especially now in, a, in the COVID pandemic. Right. And we didn't even really touch on digital nomads, but eventually that could be a recruiting tool for Michigan to get good talent into the state, too, as well, because of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, the uh, last two things I'll ask you, and you can give another good brief answer on this one, but by having the whole nation connected, that also, I presume, would help us globally, competitively, even as an economy, too, right? Absolutely. I mean, we when we look at our our average speeds compared to other countries and the and the percent of our you know our population that is connected to depending on the, the speed that you look at, um, we do pale in comparison to a lot of other countries. Now, the difference though there to note is that our house our our population density in this country is extremely low compared to other countries that have better networks than us. I mean, we're talking about the difference between 10,000 people per square mile and 25 people per square mile, you know, in our country. So we're very spread out as a country, which contributes to the difficulty of, of connecting everyone. Um, so it's not necessarily an apples to apples comparison, but yeah, connecting everyone in our country, especially in Michigan, I think would be a, you know, a, a global competitor um, yeah. in that way. And I think you'll agree with my definition for digital nomad is that basically it means people that can remote work remotely from anywhere as the pandemic has clearly proven is actually not just an option, but it's becoming mandatory with a lot of companies. So it will be something I think we have to look at for the HR future of America anyway. Yeah, we, <laughs> anyway, we like it. <laughs> Yeah, we, and we have a lot of beautiful places in Michigan to live. So why not come here and and do whatever work it is you do, um, and spend your time in our state? Um, that's we need to make sure those networks are there for those folks. And that's a segue to my very last question: Is what do you like best about living in Michigan personally? Oh, so I've been I've born and raised here. I grew up in Coldwater, um, went to school in Marquette and East Lansing, uh, and so ended up in the Mid Michigan area. Um, I think I think the diversity of scenery is what I love most about Michigan. Um, I love visiting Lake Michigan. I love going. And I love Lake Superior. Marquette's one of my favorite cities. Um, so I just like the diversity that we have in the state from one side to the other and top to bottom. Um, I think we're unique in that fact. Uh, we're surrounded by great bodies of water with varying shorelines, and that's got to be my favorite thing about it. Well, hopefully Dave Lorenz will find you for a pure Michigan commercial. Um, With that, uh, I will let you go. Once again, our guest was Eric Fredrickson. I'm sorry, Eric Frederick and executive director for Connected Nation, Michigan. Thanks again, Eric, for being on the show today. Yeah, thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. The Michigan Opportunity is brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Join us and make your mark where it matters. Visit michiganbusiness.org forward slash radio to put your plans in motion. 